And if we can turn in our Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4 and at verse 17. We thought two weeks ago about how this is the, the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus and the first words that Jesus speaks and the, the, the repeated theme that comes through the, the sermons that we have as Jesus preaches is the, it's the word, it's the theme of repentance. Uh, repentance is something uh, that we do when we become Christians and repentance is the continual state, it's the continual posture as Luther put it for uh, us in our Christian lives, we are called continually, constantly uh, to repent and to stay close to Jesus. So verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word to us. Let's pray for a moment as we turn back to the passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your call upon our lives. And we pray uh, that as we hear your voice, and we pray that we would hear your voice, we pray that we would not harden our hearts, but that we would trust you, that we would follow you, uh, that we would respond in faith uh, to the call of Jesus to follow him. We pray that you would help us, Lord. We pray for the young ones as well. We thank you for them, uh, those in the Sunday school, those in the creche, uh, who haven't yet got an understanding of the gospel message, but we pray that even in their earliest experiences that they would know and sense your love of them. We pray for them. And even uh, the children that haven't yet been born, uh, we pray for them, thankful for the fact that uh, even in the womb, Lord, you you know us. And so we pray uh, that uh, you would be with the young ones, that uh, you would bless them, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. We pray for those who would desire to be here and uh, who watch and listen at a distance, that you would bless them, Lord, in their homes. And uh, we pray for, for some that we see in our mind's eye who are housebound at this time. We pray that uh, in the months to come that their strength would increase and that we might see them back with us in the fellowship here and we pray for others Lord uh, who have no thought of uh, your house or your word or your name uh, who have no desire to be in this place or in any other church and we ask Lord that you would awaken uh, the souls of such uh, that they uh, would have a, a desire uh, to come to Jesus we know that that's not something that we uh, can can do for them. We know that that's not something that we can do for ourselves even, but you are the God who awakens. You're the God who strives with us for a season sometimes. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you would strive with those that we think of and pray for, and even those in this building this morning who may for many years have heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me. 
uh, we pray that you would continue to strive with them. And Lord, that uh, there would be some, even one uh, today, who may trust you and begin to follow you for the first time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we uh, look forward to hearing over the communion weekend is uh, the testimonies. We enjoy the preaching, I know, um, but I, I always can see uh, the, the sense of um, interest uh, that there is when somebody stands up and wants to tell uh, the story of how they came to know Jesus when they, when they started to follow uh, Jesus. And today uh, we're looking at the story, we're looking at the testimony of uh, Simon, who's, who becomes known as Peter, and Andrew and James and John, we see them. We see them beginning to follow Jesus, and certainly in a in a, in a very intimate way. And uh, what I want to do today is just step through the verses uh, of this testimony of this story. And as we do that, let's be thinking uh, ourselves: Have we got a testimony? Uh, do we have a story? Can we think about uh, how we have come? to follow Jesus. Are we following Jesus? I suppose is the key question. Various points, five points, if we have the time to get through them. And the first point is uh, the initiative of Jesus. And if you look at verse 18, uh, which is where the passage uh, really begins, I want to look at, it says in verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, uh, that's Jesus, he saw two brothers. And then if we fast forward to verse 21, it says, And going on from there, he, Jesus, saw two other brothers. So we're thinking about a testimony. We're thinking about the story uh, of those who are beginning to follow Jesus. But where does the account begin? Where does the testimony begin? <coughs> well, it begins with Jesus. Every testimony, uh, every story of uh, how we came to follow. It begins with Jesus. It doesn't begin with Simon and, and, and James and John and, and Andrew. We don't read about them signing up for a Christianity Explored class. We don't uh, read about them uh, seeking uh, Jesus. What we see here is that the, the initiative is with Jesus. Jesus is walking, verse 18, he's on the move. And uh, he is by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he's walking along the, the shoreline. That's an important detail for us to note. And Jesus saw two brothers, verse 18. And then verse 21, Jesus saw two other brothers. And the word for saw uh, means that he stared. It's not that they caught his eye. And he thought, just in the spur of the moment, I think I'll go and have a conversation with them. No, he, he saw. He stared. He, he discerned. He recognized these two sets of brothers. He's looking for them. And having seen them, he comes to them. He approaches them. And that in itself is an amazing thing to, to think about just for a moment when we consider who Jesus is. This is God the Son. 
This is the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity who condescends to this world, the world that he, he brought into being from nothing with a word, and we see him. And he's walking along the shore as we often walk along the, uh, the coastline. And he sees these two sets of brothers. The maker of heaven and earth sees these four individuals. They're not seeing Jesus. And they're not seeking Jesus. But he sees them. And he seeks them. So that's how it all began in this, this account. That's how it was back on that day. And that's how it still uh, remains on this day. It's very humbling. Romans 3 tells us no one seeks God. Our hearts are so uh, dark and, and twisted through sin that we don't seek God. But God seeks us. Now you and I can't decide one day, I think I'm going to become a Christian. I think I'm going to seek God I think I'm going to become a Christian. We can't even think, well, I'm not going to become a Christian today, but in, in 30 years' time, if I'm spared and well, that's when I hit 60 or when I hit 70, that's when I'm going to begin to seek God. That's when I'm going to become a Christian. We don't have that privilege. God is the one who seeks us. And just as he saw these disciples today, perhaps he is seeing you. And just as he was seeking these disciples, perhaps today he is seeking you. God the Son, through the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, seeking you, one individual, a sinner, who needs to be saved. Even if he seeks you and I once for a moment, what a privilege that is. What an opportunity we have. <coughs> so today, if you hear his voice, if you sense his presence, if he catches your eye, don't harden your heart. Don't push him away as if you have the right to say, come back when it's convenient. If God is taking the initiative today of seeking you, trust him. Follow him. You may never get it again. That's the truth. We may live for 40 more years and never again sense the presence of God, hear the voice of God, even have the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. I've seen it so many times, people who've come that close to trusting Jesus, they've had the opportunity. And there's been a wrestle going on. And they've said, not today. And then in three weeks' time, you see them. And you say, is it going to be Today. And they don't know what you're talking about. They have no thought of God. They have no interest in God. 
They have no sense of their sin. They have no sense of need. And, and, and I can see that the, the opportunity has passed. And I pray that it comes back. But today, if Jesus is taking the initiative with you as he was with these brothers, trust him. Don't harden your heart. The initiative uh, is with Jesus. We see that first of all. The second thing we see is the identity of the disciples. Again, just, we have the, 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 the few details on them in verses 18 and 21. He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 21, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. So we're not given much, but we're given a wee bit here about the identity of these disciples. And there's four things we can see uh, in terms of their identity. Uh, Two things that perhaps will encourage us and two things that should probably challenge us. So first of all, we see that uh, these disciples, these men that Jesus is seeking, uh, they were from the country. Jesus is looking for leaders. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for those who will follow him and uh, and work uh, with him and for him. And he doesn't go to the cities. When we're looking for, for people to, to head up a company or to, to, to lead a battalion or, or to have some key uh, position in an organization, we tend to go to the cities. We tend to go to the universities. That's where the action is. That's where we'll, we'll find the, the standout candidates, we say, but not Jesus. It's not how he works. When Jesus is looking for disciples, he doesn't go to uh, an important city like Jerusalem, which was not too far away. He takes a walk along the the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. Ligon Duncan says, Jesus met them in Galilee, not in Jerusalem, not in the court of Herod, not in the schools of the rabbis and chief priests and Pharisees and scribes. He found them in Galilee, in obscurity. Christ sees, not as man sees. So they were from the country. Capernaum, probably, which is where they, they stayed, had about 1,500 people in it. Smaller than Harris. And yet that's where Jesus uh, looks for these men to follow him. The second thing that we see here is that they were, they were just ordinary men. Ordinary people. And these are the people that Jesus calls to be his disciples. Now, Back in that day, to become a disciple of a rabbi, the the bar in terms of uh, being accepted for that that position was extremely high. It was for the the best of the best. One commentator, John Mark Comer, uh, he he gives an insight into the the type of candidates that were looked for uh, when disciples were being selected. And these were the qualifications. I'll just read them out to you. Uh, these were the, the levels of education that you had to, to go through. By age 12 or 13, most children would have the entire Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. At that point, uh, most of the students went home. That was level one. 
So you had to get through level one and have the whole of the Torah memorized. And that gave you potential access to, to level two, if you could prove yourself. The best and the brightest, he says, would go on to a second level of education. By the age of 17, they would have memorized the entire Old Testament. That was level two. Now, at this point, he says, the overwhelming majority were done. But the best of the best of the best would apply to apprentice under a rabbi. That was just the application level, not the acceptance level. That was the application level. And then this commentator says, Simon and Andrew were fishermen. This means that they didn't make it into an apprenticeship program. They weren't the best of the best of the best. They were the ones who got sent home to make babies and pray that their sons might become rabbis. But Jesus invited them to become his apprentices, his disciples. So there's encouragement there from us. People in the country. And we might be uh, saying, you know, Jesus would never call me to follow him. You know, I'm just so ordinary. I've got nothing much to offer. I've got uh, no great uh, skill set. There are so many people who could do much better at a job of this than I could. And yet Jesus calls the ordinary. He calls people like us to, to trust him, to profess that our, our faith is in him, to sit at his table and to serve him. Ordinary men from the country. That was the identity of these disciples. The, the next thing we can see about their identity is that they were family men. Simon and Andrew were brothers. Uh, James and John also were brothers. They, they were the sons of Zebedee. And so clearly they had responsibilities in the family and they had particular responsibilities uh, for the family business. So life was complicated. And following Jesus for, for these men was going to mean sacrifice. It was going to mean inconvenience. It was going to mean uh, tension within the family, likely. As they set off in a different direction. It was going to mean disruption. They were family men. But Jesus still called them. And the next thing that we see is that they were, they were busy men. Now, if you and I see somebody who's working and we, we, we want to speak to them about something and we make an approach and we can see they're halfway through doing a job, what we tend to say is, I'm sorry to, to bother you, I thought you were, I thought it's maybe not a good time. I tell you what, I'll come back in two hours and maybe you'll be finished what you're doing. We can, we can chat then. That's how we would approach somebody when we can see that they're busy. But Jesus doesn't approach these four brothers that way. Uh, Simon and Andrew, verse 18, uh, they're mid-cast. They're casting their nets. They're mid-cast when Jesus approaches them. And James and John, uh, they're mending their nets, ready for the, 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 the next uh, fishing expedition. So they're busy. But Jesus doesn't wait for any of them to finish their work. Mid-task. He interrupts them and he says, follow me. And when we see that, I think that challenges us. 
Because for some of us here, family life is demanding. And family life is tiring. And family life is is complicated and we're getting pulled this way and we're getting pulled that way. And work is demanding and we're super busy. We've got all these things to do. And yet Jesus comes to us today uh, through the word and the power of the Holy Spirit and he does not say to you and I, I'm sorry to bother you. He doesn't say, why don't I come back later when your lives are a bit calmer. And you've got through the, 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 the crisis of whatever it is that's uh, overwhelming us at present. Jesus says to us, I am your Lord and I am your King. And I'm looking at you. And I know your identity. And I know your situation. And I know your family life. And I know how busy you are. And I know what your boss is saying. And I know how cluttered your diary is. And I'm still calling you. Follow me. The identity of the disciples, the initiative uh, of Jesus. The third thing is uh, the, the, the thing that they're called to, and uh, what they're called to is intimacy with Jesus. Look at verse 19. Jesus said to them, Follow me. And just the simplicity of it is, is, is staggering. Jesus just says, follow me. And from a reading, from a, a reading if, if all we had was Matthew, we might think, well, this is, this is very abrupt. Um, Matthew's actually just summarizing. The likelihood is that Jesus had, had dealings with these men in advance of this. One commentator says, in this passage, we see the call of the first four disciples. Jesus had known them for about a year. We know that from a reading of John chapter 1. But in this passage, Jesus issues them a special call. So what kind of a special call was this? Well, it was a call to follow him and not at a distance, but intimately. It was a call, as Mark puts it in Mark 3.14, it was a call to be with Jesus. And that's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is not uh, to have our names on, a, on a, a sheet for a congregation in a denomination. We're not going to get asked for our papers at the gates of heaven. These things are man-made structures and forms. To be a Christian is somebody who has trusted Jesus. A Christian is somebody who is, who is with Jesus. A Christian is somebody who is following Jesus. Who's come to the cross. Who's asked for forgiveness for their sin. Who's embraced Jesus as Savior. And who's committed to follow him. Each step of the way as Lord and King. So are you a Christian? Not are you a member? Not have you got an affiliation with a denomination? Not even have you had an experience in the past? 
But are we Christians? Are we with Jesus? Day by day by day, are we with Jesus? And are we willing to profess that? And come and sit at the Lord's table? Back at the time of of writing, uh, the the table uh, meant something different to what it means for us, you know, in terms of the the actual table, the place that you went to eat. We sat around the table for five minutes. We wolfed down whatever it is we've got to, to eat and we're gone. You know, back in that day, people sat around the table for hours. The table was the place uh, that you, 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 you shared life together. You laughed and you, you cried and, and, and you, there was intimacy at the table. There was friendship, there was fellowship at the, at the dinner table. And if we are with Jesus, if we are friends of Jesus, if we are intimate with Jesus, we're to come to the table. And we do all the things that people did at the table. Uh, we, we cry at the table. It's rare that as I look up, I don't see tears at the table because we see our sin. We remember what our sin did to Jesus and we, we cry at the table. We give thanks at the table. As we remember all that Jesus did to to pay for our sin, we rejoice at the table. We laugh at the table. Because we remember the resurrection. We take the bread, we take the wine, we do this until he comes. There's joy in that remembrance. there's There's an intimacy that we experience at the table as we are with Jesus. And with, as we are with each other in Christ. So the calling that Jesus placed upon the disciples back then, the calling uh, that is coming to us today is a, a call not to be distant, but to be intimate with Jesus. And maybe that's a call that some of us need to hear again today. Maybe there was once a time that we had intimacy, and today we're far away for whatever reason. And the call that comes to us is a call to return. We don't climb our way back. We don't earn our way back. We just confess our sin. We tell the Lord about the distance. We ask for his grace. And we experience what the prodigal did when he returned, the embrace of the Father, the grace of Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. The fourth point here is the, the intention of Jesus because Jesus uh, says to these, these uh, men, as he calls them, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, as we look into the lives of these men, uh, they, they had repented. Jesus' first sermon, his first words were repent, change direction. 
And these men, uh, they, they had turned away from their, their old lives. They were in the process of turning away in, in a spectacular way from their old lives. They were repenting. And sometimes I think when we think about repentance, when we think about being converted, we, we think that that's the end point. Sometimes we hear testimonies. And uh, when people share testimonies, they, they'll tell us, I was this and I was that and I was the next thing and life was dark and I did all these things. And, and then I was converted. I repented. I was saved. The end. It's not the end. That's the beginning. When we repent, uh, we're, we're, we're over the line in the sense that we're over the start line, not over the finish line. And Jesus, he, he calls these men to, to follow him. But once they start to follow, that's them over the start line. And Jesus has plans for these men. They're going to, they're going to work for him. And that's something that every believer is, is called to. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says that we're saved by grace. We love to, to, to cherish these verses and stick them in our fridges and put them in frames in the, in the, in the walls in our houses. We're, we're saved by grace. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 2 8 and 9. But what does it say in Ephesians 2 verse 10? It says we're saved for works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And Peter and James and John and Andrew, already they had met Jesus, already it looks like they were trusting Jesus, but now Jesus says, I have a special mission for you. I'm calling you to leave everything and follow me. And it might be that that call is coming even to somebody here today. Uh, sometimes Jesus calls us to stay where we are and be salt and light in the place that he would have us remain. Sometimes Jesus calls us to leave our boats and leave the family home and go into full-time ministry. It strikes me today uh, that Scotland is darker than it ever has been. And yet very, very few in Scotland are going into ministry. Churches are being planted. We've got no ministers to put in them. Is that because Jesus isn't calling? Or because disciples aren't going? I don't know. But for Peter and James and John and Andrew, their calling was to be, to be fishers of men. And I like to just think about these, these men standing on the shore, having just had this encounter. And Jesus says, fishers of men, that's who you are now. Not fishers of fish, fishers of men and women and boys and, and girls. And you can imagine the disciples looking at each other bewildered and saying, how do we do that? What does that even mean? It must have seen such an, an overwhelming thing back then, and it still does today. Because for you and I, if we're Christians, as we look out even across Tarbert, there are much more people outside than there are inside. There are many more people who are lost than who are saved and are calling us to reach them. And, and we, we, we ask the question, how on earth do we do that? <coughs> and the answer... So that question is, is actually very simple. We're to follow Jesus. Price, the commentator, 
I'm not sure it was Stevie, but Price, the commentator, says Jesus did not challenge them to become fishers of men by a series of techniques they could learn or methods they could follow, but took upon himself the responsibility to make you fishers of men. This was to be his business. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. That's my business. Your business, disciples, is just to follow me. Trust me. Stay close to me. And when I was thinking about this, my mind uh, went again to, uh, to probably the best example of fishing uh, that I've seen in my time in Harris. And it happened in a hospital ward uh, with Ina. No minister's collar, very little strength, no mobility. But because she was so close to Jesus, because she was following him to the end of her days, Jesus made her in the hospital ward the most amazing fisher of men. And it all comes down to following Jesus closely. The intention of Jesus to make us fishers of men is linked to the calling that Jesus places upon us to be intimate with him. So the question that comes to you and to me again is, are we still following Jesus closely? Christian, are you still following Jesus closely? Or have you drifted? Because it's in following Jesus closely that we can be effective in our fishing. If we are to be fishers of of people, we must be continually following Jesus. If we are to be fishers of people, if we are to be fruitful in this work, we must be continually, as it says in John 15, abiding, remaining in Christ. The intention of Jesus is to make them fishers of men. And finally, very briefly, uh, the immediate response to Jesus. Verse 20 and verse 22. Immediately, it says, they left their nets and followed him. So Simon and Andrew hear the call immediately. Next time, they follow Jesus. Verse 22, uh, James and John Immediately, they left their boat and their father. Got this picture of the the father in this boat. Going, what are you doing? Zebedee, by the way, was a a man who was rich. He would have had uh, people to help him. He wasn't being left high and dry. God had provided people to assist him in the work that he was doing. But for James and John, his sons, Jesus said, follow me. And immediately, they followed him. Think about that as we close. Put yourself in the shoes of these disciples. They were to leave everything and follow Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, let me give you the sales pitch for how amazing this is going to be. He just says, follow me. 
And Jesus doesn't say, let me talk you through the next three years and the plan uh, so you're fully aware of everything you're getting into. No, he just says, follow me. And it was a massively big decision and it was a life-changing decision and it was a costly decision and it was going to mean huge sacrifice. And it took them all of no time at all to respond. They just follow. And their whole lives changed direction in that moment as they turned away from a life without Jesus and they turned in faith to Jesus. And it's a picture of repentance. You want to know what repentance looks like? Look at these four guys. This is a picture that is given to us at the very beginning of ministry that shows us what it looks like to trust Jesus as Lord and King. Spurgeon says, they come straightway, they come at all cost, they come without a question, they come to quit old haunts, they come to follow their leader without stipulation or reserve. There's an immediate response to Jesus from them. And the question that you and I have to wrestle with as we finish is, is what about us? Will we follow Jesus? Will we return to Jesus if we have got off track? Are we following Jesus in this way? This is what we're called to. And it is costly. And sometimes it's terrifying. And it's entirely unpredictable. But a life following Jesus is what we're made for. And there's no more exciting, thrilling, purposeful, joyful, satisfying life than to follow Jesus. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.